welcome to this week's episode of The Last Refuge. I'm your friendly neighborhood dungeon master, DM Jazzy Hands, and with me I have... Biz Dira, Kid, Bria, and Flick. This week, just like last week, we have some very special character episodes prepared for you. If you haven't listened to the season one finale yet, spoiler alert's coming up, so skip ahead a bit if you don't want to hear these spoilers. I'll wait. All right. Uh, once Flick regained his memories through the power of the Shimmer Scale Key, he was able to restore the memories of his Azamar companions as well. So last week, Flick and Briathos got the chance to explore these returned memories. Flick through a solo adventure with me, and Briathos through a 1920s-style radio play. They told us a little bit about their lives before arriving in the Last Refuge, and finally got some answers about who sent them here and why. This week's character minisodes would tell us a little bit more about our remaining two adventurers, Kit and Bizdira. Kit's up first, so off we go. Kit was born on the southern border of the Shilmista Forest to a lovely human woman named Upuris. Together, they lived at the edge of the forest, where Upuris served as healer and wise woman for travelers to and from Caradun, pilgrims headed to spirit soaring, and the occasional elf from the forest itself. Little house in a quiet forest, every day, unlike the one before. Little house, it's just me and mother. Waking up to say Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go Here come the pilgrims heading on a journey They ask for bread, have tales to tell Not a morning is the same Every day a different game In our lovely forest town Good morning, kids Good morning, Mama And where are you off to today? I thought I would pick some flowers in the woods. But Kit, we have work to do. Come along. Upuris was fairly old to have borne a child, certainly too old to have any more. And so Kit was her treasure. During Kit's first years of life, Upuris taught her all she could about being a healer, about working with nature. We do not use nature, Kit. For if we tried, we would soon find ourselves used much more harshly by the land than we could use her. She also taught her the importance of care for others, be they person, beast, or flower. Sometimes these lessons were taught by deeds, for Upuris worked herself ragged to help others, never quite endangering her own life for the sake of another, but coming as close to it as possible. And sometimes these lessons were taught through stories. Stories of a great adventurer who traveled Faerun, fighting for good and justice. This adventurer had many lessons to teach, like the time when she came across a small farming community whose animals were being menaced by a pack of wolves. Our adventurer knew that hunting the wolves to extinction would only disturb the balance of nature. So rather than attack the whole pack, she used her magic and her knowledge of nature to challenge the alpha wolf to single combat. She was victorious, and the wolf pack moved on to other hunting grounds, leaving the farmers to raise their animals in peace. It wasn't until Kit was older that it occurred to her that perhaps the bedtime stories Upuris told, the ones about a young woman who spent the years before she became a mother traveling the land, learning and adventuring, may not have been complete fiction after all. 
but at the time, such things as the past concerned her little. On Kit's seventh birthday, everything changed. Upuris woke Kit with all the fanfare she had given her on every birthday she'd had so far, but her heart seemed somewhere else this time. All day she treated Kit to her favorite foods and games, and always there was a shadow behind her eyes, the hint of a frown beneath her smile. After dinner, Kit understood why. When she was done washing the dishes... Even on your own personal feast day, you must remember that there is work to be done, and no good will come from shirking it. Kit returned to the den to find her belongings packed in a small rucksack and a strange elvish woman sitting with her mother. The elf introduced herself as Zilana, archdruid of the druid circle of Shilmista. I am Zilana. The archdruid of Shilmista. My training started long, long ago. Though you are not of elven race, you will join us within. You will be a druid too, and we will very soon begin. But in order for you to reach your full potential, you will have to come with us now. Even though you don't really want to join us, tough. Just pack your things up now. Even though we know that this will be hard for you, this has been sort of preordained for you. Kit protested, explaining through tears that she couldn't possibly leave her mother, that she was too valuable in helping her mother heal all the travelers who crossed their path. Upuris looked at Zilana and stepped into her bedroom. When she returned, she took Kit aside, the same shadow glimmering in her eye, and handed her a quarterstaff. Though it was clearly too large for Kit to wield, she gave it to her nonetheless. Think of the brave adventurer and all the good that she did. Such good could not have always been done without sacrifice. And with this staff, you'll have her, and me, with you always. And so Kit went. She studied hard with the druids, and all that Upuris had taught her of nature served her well. She excelled, especially in those early years, and advanced quickly. But she never stopped thinking of her mother. Several years into her training, she found the pull of home to be overwhelming. I've been staring at the edge of the forest all these years. I remember always questioning why. I wish I could go back to my mother. Must I stay here with another? Some days I think I might die. Every spell I learn, every beast I see, every plant and fern, every single tree bids me to go home, but I cannot roam, yet I long to flee. See the line where the sky meets the trees, it calls me, no one will know if I should go. If the light from the moon on the tree stays behind me, one day I'll go. Just no telling how they would know. It was several days' journey to get to her old home, 
and she would certainly be missed. But perhaps, she thought, I'll simply convince Solana that I went off to study the hibernation habits of the local owlbear community. However, she didn't make it very far. Not an hour's walk past the bounds of the Circle's territory, her journey was interrupted. By a blindingly bright light that she felt sure the entirety of Shomista must have noticed. When she was able to blink the spots from her vision, Kit saw a man standing before her. No, not a man. The ethereal wings sprouting from his back belied his celestial heritage. An angel, and not just any angel. Kit knew this being immediately to be her father, someone that her mother had always refused to speak of. The angel introduced himself as Gavrail. never asked for this, but I planned it in advance. I promise you weren't blown here by the winds of chance. Denier saw you as a silver hand or dragon's bane. We knew who you were, but had to wait to tell you in case your powers waned. Now finally I'm here and can tell you what is needed. Praise to Denier, I hope that my advice won't go unheeded. This may surprise you, don't be shook, it'll make sense soon. What can I say? Don't get carried away, return by the full moon. Magical, you will be magical. It does sound new fervor behind her studies, Kit continued to excel, and very soon manifested her first magical abilities. Several months after Gavriel first visited Kit, Zelana and the other masters of the Druid Circle were called away from Shilmista. Of course, despite Kit's proficiency as a student, she was not yet permitted to know what kinds of business the masters of the Circle might leave to take care of. During this time, Kit took to wandering in the nearby village, the elders of which often looked to the Druid Circle to assist with all issues that came up in the town, both magical and non-magical. One day, as Kit examined the herbs growing in one of the local gardens, she heard a commotion coming from the other side of town. Without thinking, she ran toward the sound and stopped dead in her tracks upon seeing an enormous wolf approaching a group of villagers, teeth bared. She gripped her quarterstaff, remembering her mother's story. Determined to get the wolf to leave without causing it too much harm, she readied her magic. But before she could do anything, a young elvish man ran up to the wolf swinging an axe. Unfortunately, he was very clearly not a fighter, and the wolf snarled at the man, biting his arm and causing him to fall on his back. Kit couldn't help but roll her eyes before stepping forward and using her new magical powers to speak to the wolf. After a brief conversation with the wolf and a brief demonstration of what she could do with her magic quarterstaff, the wolf withdrew into the forest. 
hand-shaking, Kit explained that she had convinced the wolf to leave the town's inhabitants be, but in turn, the villagers would have to leave the wolf's pack alone. After the majority of the villagers had left the scene, the young elven man, Roland by name, came up to Kit, awestruck. Kit saw he was still bleeding and quickly healed his wounds, at which point she asked Roland how he was feeling. Ask me, how do I feel? Ask me now while your smiles disarm <laughs> Well, ma'am, all I can say is if I were a spell, I'd be charming. Since you saved me right here tonight, there's no other way I could behave. Girl, if I were a wizard, I'd light. Or if I were a cleric, I'd flame. Ask me, how do I feel? Little me with my quiet upbringing. <laughs> well, girl, all I can say is if I were a bard, I'd be singing. And if I were a rogue, I'd start being a snake. Or if I were a spell, my deck save would be So, Kit and Roland's budding romance began under the heavy supervision of the masters of the Druid Circle and the village elders, of course. Meanwhile, Kit was also visited semi-regularly by Gavrail, usually in her dreams. He began to supplement what her mother had taught her of herbalism. In particular, he had Kit learn to create unguents and salves from strange plants that he provided to her, plants which could not be found in the Shilmista forest and that the other Druids could not identify. It seemed like an odd skill to learn, for what good is the knowledge of a salve if its ingredients are not to be found? Still, Kit practiced. She must have learned to identify dozens, if not hundreds, of these strange plants, and created at least as many potions and tinctures from them, until Gavrail was satisfied that she could identify and create them as close to flawlessly as possible. After she perfected this skill, the visits from Gavrail stopped for a time. Several months passed without Gavrail coming to visit Kit just when she began to wonder whether or not she would ever see her angelic father again, she received a message. It was not a full vision. Gavriel did not attend her in person, but she heard his voice clearly one night. Kit, the time has come to embark upon your great quest and begin the fulfillment of your destiny. The image of a windswept cliff deep in the Snowflake Mountains came to Kit then. In ten days, you will find me and your companions, your fellows in this destiny, at this place. Prepare for a long journey to a wild land, a journey that you may not return from for years, if ever. I will explain more when you arrive. And so Kit bade farewell to her mentors and teachers in the circle, Zelana seemed to know even before she told her that she was leaving, gathered her belongings, and left the circle. Before beginning her journey, though, Kit stopped to say a painful goodbye to Roland. She pushed down her feelings of resentment and frustration toward Gavrail, and recalled her mother's words that doing good requires sacrifice. And she began the journey to that cliff face. 
Out of the woods, it's time to go. He bade me leave, I have to go. Out of the woods, it's time, and so I must begin my journey. Out of the woods and up the cliffs to where I will find a drill. Out of the woods and up the mountains. Out of the woods and up the mountains. The path is rough and beasts abound. But I am tough and won't be drowned. The cliffs are just rocks. The rocks are just cliffs. No need to be afraid there. There's something in the shade there. Out of the woods. Out of the woods. Out of the woods. And into the cliffs. Be there before dark. As fate, or perhaps destiny, would have it, Kit arrived at the same moment as two women and a tiefling man. The four adventurers stepped warily out into an open space near the cliff's edge. Before any of them could speak, Gavrail appears. And that's where we're going to stop with Kit's portion of the episode. Really quickly, we'd like to recognize all of the shows that Karin, who plays Kit, parodied in this episode. So in the order that you heard them, we had Belle from Beauty and the Beast by Alan Menken, Tim Rice, and Howard Ashman. All-American Prophet from the Book of Mormon by Trey Parker, Matt Stone, and Robert Lopez. How Far I'll Go from Moana by Lynn manuel Miranda. Wonderful from Wicked by Stephen Schwartz. If I Were a Bell from Guys and Dolls by Frank Lesser. And finally, The Prologue from Into the Woods by Stephen Sondheim. Before we go on to Bizdira's portion of the episode, I want to take a quick moment to give a shout out to an awesome group of podcasters. This group has joined forces with The Last Refuge to promote our shows. So we'll be featuring promos of each of them in the coming weeks. Uh, And if you have an empty spot on your podcast playlist, you should go check some of them out. Here are a few words from one of them, Tales from the Fandom. Called the Working Man's Nerdist, Tales from the Fandom is a weekly podcast where David talks with a guest about the fandoms that they love. Whether it's classics like Star Trek, Star Wars and Tolkien, or new ones like Game of Thrones or Harry Potter. Anime, books, TV shows, movies, role-playing, video games, cosplay and more are discussed. Each episode is different, based on the guest. No fandom is too big or too small. Subscribe to Tales from the Fandom and join in on the fun. Tonight on D&D True Hollywood Story. She grew up without parents, alone in a monastery. Despite feeling at times like the whole world was against her, she trained hard and became one of her order's most skilled warriors. But what scars were left on her during those turbulent years? We're here tonight with the one and only Bizdira to find out. Bizdira! Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a it's a it's a real honor to be here tonight. Oh well, it's an honor to have you here. I gotta say, mm-hmm. we're excited. We hear things are going pretty well for you. You've added uh, Planeswalker to your list of accomplishments. Congratulations! Yeah, thanks, thanks. Yeah, no, it was a big accomplishment. It was. Uh, I trained really hard to get that. You know. Great. Well, congratulations on that. So, uh, you know, everybody just wants to know a little bit more about Bizdira. So why don't we start at the very beginning? How's that um, sound? Um, sure. I mean, as, as much as I can do, you know. <laughs> sure. No, I understand. Got to keep a, a little aura of mystique about of you. Of course, you know. <laughs> well, let's, we'll start easy. So just tell us a little bit about, uh, about where you're from. Where, where were you born? Um, well, I don't really know much about where I was born. I was told, at least, that I was born in a town called Caradun, outside the Snowflake Mountains. But 
I was raised actually in a monastery in the mountains, high in the mountains. Oh, how interesting! All right, and when the the uh, your caretakers there at the monastery, they're the ones who you said you were told. Yes, that's that's basically all they would tell tell me about my birth is where. They, I guess they assumed that I was from there. I hope that they knew something, but, you know, you know these <laughs> One, monks, they don't like, they're not very chatty. <laughs> that, I've heard that. I've heard <laughs> that. So, uh, so I take it then that you didn't, uh, you didn't know either of your parents? No, no, okay. I'm not really sure. I mean, growing up, I, they wouldn't really disclose anything. They were very sure. quiet about sure. it. They, anytime I asked them, they just kind of sent me off to do another chore. Interesting. As monks will do, yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll get back to that a little bit later then, but since it sounds like your first real memories were of this monastery, why don't you uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Well, um it's the monastery of the Shining Hand. Um it was I mean, it was a fantastic place to grow up, I think, you know, <laughs> constant training and and fighting is definitely <laughs> I think it says alleyway. a lot I think it says a lot about you that that is the type of place that to you is a great place to grow up. I'm not sure all of our uh, listeners would necessarily agree. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I always had a bit of a temper, so having an outlet for it was beneficial to me. I mean, <laughs> We've heard that about you. Yeah, a little bit. Um <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of there was a lot of good along with bad, you know, it was a lot of, of, I loved the training and I loved constantly learning new maneuvers and new like ways to move my body and, and use the weapons that we had available to Absolutely. us. Absolutely. But you know, then along with that, with being a monk was a lot of solitude and a lot of chores and lectures and, you know, finding some sort of inner peace that just doesn't really mesh with me i mean <laughs> i don't i don't really know what an inner peace is i think you know? sure well we're definitely going to talk a little bit about more about that soon but um <laughs> i have to say uh i appreciate your modesty but uh, our our listeners should know you were as uh, the way we hear it you were among the youngest ever to train with the shining hand is is that the I case was. i was because you know like i said that i was as far as I'm aware, again, um, I was brought there as a as a baby. You know, I was still in my swaddling clothes, and you know, sure. So, and they just know, started you right away, huh? Pretty much. I mean, they they didn't really know what to do with an infant, so you know, as soon as I could walk, they started poking me and prodding me and making me kind of learn balance and learn how to dodge out of the way of random things flying at my face. You know. <laughs> I suppose we won't call child services on them since you uh, turned out so well. Now, I do have to ask, though, you know, like you said, they didn't uh, they didn't know too much about what to do with an infant. Did it ever cross your mind at the time? Of course, now we know more. But did it ever cross your mind at the time why they took you in in the first place? Not really. No, I feel like they were as as quiet and distant as my masters were. They were still very much... Um, you know, they still looked out for me. You know, they, if, if I sure. ever got injured, which, you know, happened from time to time. <laughs> I imagine so with <laughs> missiles flying at your head. You know, as you do. Um, <laughs> they were still, they would still take care of me. They'd push me to get me back on my feet, probably sometimes sooner than I wanted to. But, you know, they, they still had some sort of maternal instinct sure. as far as 
dealing with a, a small child. You know, sure. when the the one thing that they definitely did not know how to deal with was emotions, like physical stuff they could handle. But if I got upset and, you know, then there was just like, go find peace, like go, sure. go meditate, you know. Right. So, well, that uh, that actually is a is a great uh, segue into my next question, which is, and we've already sort of mentioned this and alluded to it, but uh, we hear that you did have a bit of a temper uh, yes. while you were there at the shining at the monastery of the oh. Shining Hand. Do you want to do you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, first of all, that hasn't gone away. Um, <laughs> the temper is still there. Well, like you know, like I said, I uh, I was never one to find an inner peace. You know, I always like kind of had this static energy that just had to find some sort of release. You know, I needed to, you know, my, my favorite part of the day was being in the dojo and training and fighting the other, um, the monks and the other younger kids, not a lot of kids, but you know, the younger, younger um, initiates. Sure. Yes, exactly. Um, and I, sometimes if, you know, if one of them got the upper hand on me, I might get a little extra, violent um for lack of a better word but uh i i put a i put a couple of my um my uh my friends and 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 monk buddies in a, the infirmary honestly you know it's uh well if they were throwing missiles at your head uh, what could they expect <laughs> missiles <laughs> i mean you know different swords and and staffs and throwing stars, you know, you name it. We, we now, it. now it does seem like, you know, this inner peace that you keep mentioning is, is a, well, anyway, for us laymen seems like a, a pretty central part of a lot of different monastic traditions. So yes. did, did any of it, you know, did, uh, did you manage to absorb sort of any of that? Did it ever come easier to you? Sometimes. I mean, as I got older, um, I was able to kind of quiet everything a little bit more, but you know, I still had my moments and I still had a hard time you know, dealing with anger and that would bubble up in me sometimes, you know, sure. You know, I, I can get a little, uh, prideful if you will. So, well, if you, uh, if you don't mind me putting me on the spot a little bit, uh, any, uh, any ideas or thoughts about where that anger might've come from? Uh, you know, the best thing I can say is probably because I wasn't held very much as a baby, you know, (laughs) you know, the monks (laughs) are, monks are not very like physically affectionate. So it was, you know, I think not having a a real mother and father kind of didn't help, but I always just felt this like burning inside of me. Sure. You know, just like this, this, this light inside me that I couldn't, I didn't know how to hold it, you know? Right. Well, and and I think we uh, we all know a little bit more about why that was the case now. But <laughs> but let's go back to something you said. You know, you didn't. You definitely felt the lack of a of a mother and father. But yeah. uh, not too long ago, there was a, a pretty big event in your life that uh, that changed changed almost everything. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah you finally did manage to uh, to meet someone from your past. Why don't you Why don't you tell us about that? Who did you meet? Well. um, to go back to the beginning, um, I was actually in the middle of a sparring session with my master and, you know, she had taken me away from some of the initiates because I had injured uh, a couple too many times. Um, so she, she wanted to test my ability against her and, you know, she was a, an incredible fighter still is, you know, she's this little, you know, 
ancient woman that's just just blur of speed. Um, but she just, uh, I was getting so frustrated. She just kept knocking me down and, you know, it seemed like she was getting a kick out of it, you know? And, um, Oh yeah. Those monks are famous for getting kicks out of much of anything. Well, when you have someone (laughs) like me in your monastery, you get a kick out of knocking them down a peg or two. (laughs) I imagine she did. I've been on that edge too, you know? So she, uh, she was knocking me down and I was just getting so fed up. And, you know, when you spar, it's, it's, you're trying to hit, but you're not trying to harm. And I just got so angry and I went to laugh, like, just, I wanted my fist to go through her face, you know? And all of a sudden, everything just stopped. Like, I couldn't move and she was just, you could kind of see in her eyes that she saw what was about to happen. She knew that I was going to make contact with her in a way that was really not permitted. Um, but she wasn't flinching. She wasn't doing anything. And I like, I, I, I was just paralyzed. Well, I'd felt like I was paralyzed with fear, but I just, I really couldn't move. And then out of nowhere, just this, this light appeared and the next thing I know, like I could move again, but I wasn't alone. And I looked to my side and there is this beautiful man standing next to me with this just. Is this the part where we need to put a, uh, a rating warning for our listeners? <laughs> a beautiful man in your monastery. Uh, my well, goodness. I mean, don't get ahead of yourself here. But it was this beautiful man, and he had these amazing wings coming out from behind him. And somehow in my soul, in my very soul, I could just knew that this person was my father. Mm. And, and so there he was. And so much must have been explained in that in that moment. I really wish that was the case. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Uh, no, he just, you know, he, he looked at me and he... I think he could see the anger bubbling up in me again Hmm. of all the things left unsaid of like, how dare you abandon me, you know? And sure. Of course. He just, he looked at me and he said, I'm sorry to keep you in this position, but I need to tell you something. And he basically went on to tell me that he, needed me to find my own way to find my own talents and really like see what I was capable of before he could talk to me and explain that he has a a quest for me or a destiny if you will but he was very insistent on the fact that I should try to hold my temper a little bit better and I shouldn't do anything to my masters to get me thrown out of the monastery. And as he said this, he held out his hand and just like in a cloud of dust, this golden mask appeared and he gave it to me and he said, this will help you. Ah, the famous mask. So that's where you, uh, that's where you first got it. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about it? Why, uh, why a mask? I think the biggest problem growing up in the monastery was that I, I am not one to necessarily, um, 
hide my emotions and my disdain for things. And, you know, I've got, you know, rulers to the hands and things like that just from smirking at the wrong time. So with the mask, I was able to really concentrate. And if I started getting fed up, I could kind of express it to myself without worry of repercussions from the masters. Ah, an, an interesting and sort of yeah. elegantly simple solution Never would have thought. To, uh, to some of your problems. <laughs> well, we do have uh, a, a little bit of, uh, of interesting, uh, we've received some interesting information about that mask, but we're going to come back to that in just a little bit. Uh, so, so you met your father and he, he explained to you that he, you needed to find your own way, which uh, you'll pardon me for saying seems uh, probably like a, a bit of a flimsy excuse I, for someone yeah. who's been absent I mean, for I, so long. There were plenty of nights after the fact that I cursed him and said, where the hell were you my whole life? How dare you? You know, but <laughs> I mean, it, sure, it, at that sure. point that he came to me, I was, I was just so fed up and I was, I was kind of done with everything mm. and I was getting frustrated with my masters and this kind of reset me because at least, you know, I, I felt like I had something to look forward to. Maybe even though he wasn't there for my childhood, maybe we could have a relationship later on. Right. Sure. Of course. And, and did you, I mean, he gave he you that mask, which certainly seems to have been a, an important gift for your life. Uh, but did you see him again? Was there anything well, else that I he did for you? I never saw him again, but he would come to me at night in my dreams. And, you know, sometimes I'd hear him in my head while I was training, even if it was just like a, a slight, like, move your stance just a little bit to kind of help me along. And my, my, my work, my, my practice just became so much tighter. Like that by the end, I felt that I could take on my master and win and, you know, and not have to feel so uh, cocky about it. You know what I mean? Like it became more of a... <laughs> sure. I, I deserve this in a good way, not sure. in a, you know, oh, I deserve this because I'm the best, you know. Excellent. And and uh, for such a, for a being of, of such uh, power and knowledge, uh, it seems only natural, of course, that he would have helped in your, in your training, especially after giving you the mask to help sort of center yourself in a way. Was there anything else that he was able to teach you over that time? Uh, he did, actually. He taught me uh, smithing. Which, smithing yeah i know it seems, seems an odd skill for a monk <laughs> it it is um but with the training like with the fighting it was everything was coming so naturally to me i think that he wanted to instill on me something that would challenge me a little bit more but also bring something very useful to myself because you know as as a monk i didn't grow up with currency of any kind so while having the skill of fighting is one thing, but having a realistic skill to be able to take out whenever I did leave the monastery so that I could make my way in the world outside and not be, you know, not go hungry or without a roof over my head, I think was part of it. But also and just one to, might. Oh, sorry. No, please yeah. go right ahead. I mean, just to be able to have something else, you know, something else that I can focus on. 
Absolutely. And, and, and one might think that, that perhaps, uh, being a celestial being, uh, that we cannot begin to, uh, claim to know his mind. Perhaps he knew what was to come for you. Um, uh, it seems awful. like your, uh, your skills might be useful now that you've, uh, struck out with, uh, a group of adventurers and are, are, uh, taking your act on the road, as it were. Indeed. I mean, I was not expecting to have companions on this adventure at all. So <laughs> Certainly. I, I'm, I'm guessing he knew ahead of time that there would be other other people involved and possibly people that would need a smith along with a them. A smith along with them. Right. Yeah. Well, well, why don't we, uh, since we've already sort of begun to talk about it, why don't we talk a little bit a little bit about that? So you trained with your father for some time. And then as we understand it, uh, there was a period of time where he didn't he didn't come to you. Yeah. And uh, so a little bit about that and then and then what followed. Well, around the time that our um, smithing was coming to an end and I was able to really get into that and didn't really need his help guiding me as much anymore. You know, it started as instead of nightly, it became a weekly and then it became a monthly. And then I just didn't hear from him for months that must have been difficult. It was. It was very difficult. But I, you know, I I always had this feeling that he would come back to me when he needed to. That, you know, whatever was going on, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I, well, I can't say I didn't. There were nights that I felt abandoned and, like I said, screaming, son of a bitch, where are you? Um, but I, I, I think I knew it deep down that he was waiting for the right time. Like he knew that I was progressing with everything with my training and my smithing. And I think he wanted me to just have some time to, um, you know, really focus more in depthly and not worry about the relationship that I was building with him. And, uh, I really just, put my head down and just focused on everything else. I tried to block out any thought of him and I trained harder and I worked harder in the, in the smithy than I had ever before. And it turned out that your intuition was correct. As we know now, he, uh, he did come back, uh, finally one fateful night, didn't he? He did. And, yeah. uh, I was not well, why expecting don't you... that. <laughs> I'm tell you. <laughs> why don't you, uh, why don't you tell us what he told you that night? Bizdira. The time has come to embark upon your great quest and begin the fulfillment of your destiny. The image of a windswept cliff deep in the Snowflake Mountains came to me then. In ten days, you will find me and your companions, your fellows in this destiny, at this place. Prepare for a long journey to a wild land, a journey that you may not return from for years, if ever. I will explain more when you arrive. Well, after, after that was, after he came to me and told me all that, I knew that I, I had to start getting my things together and, you know, I didn't have a lot of goodbyes to say since most of the initiates were either scared of me or hated me. And, you know, my masters were not exactly the chattiest folks. So, um, I had a couple a few nights of just training and and getting my things together and one morning i woke up and i didn't i didn't plan on saying goodbye to anybody i had written a note 
just basically saying, you know, um, thank you for everything. And I'm off to find my destiny. Um, but when I got to the door, my master was there waiting for me and she didn't say anything. She just put her, her hand on my face and gave me a nod and walked away. And she knew, huh? She knew. Yeah. She absolutely Mm. knew, which makes me wonder what else she knew, but (laughs) that's for another time. Sure. But I started, you know, when during my vision, I knew where I had to go. So I took off and it was a really rough and treacherous journey. And there was a, a couple of came across a couple creatures in my, my travels to that cliff and thankfully won out on those, but you know, had a nice meal afterwards. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, after a while I finally got up to that cliff face and as I got there and I can't help but feel like this was fate or destiny, but I arrived at the same moment as two other women and a tiefling man. And the four of us stepped out onto an open space near the cliff's edge. And as we understand it, that's the moment that your father, Gavrail, appeared. Yep. Um, Papa. Well, it really is is from the moment that your father appeared to you, really a, a very exciting story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I think our, our listeners are going to be really thrilled to, uh, to finally sort of hear the whole thing. But, but uh, we've gotten some information that there might be, uh, there might be one little discrepancy in oh. your story. Isn't that true? Well, we got in touch with your father, as a matter of fact, yeah. and, uh, you know, just doing our due diligence, fact-checking, and he told us that uh, everything that you said uh, was absolutely true, except he had never seen that mask of yours until you arrived at the cliff face that night, you see. And uh, so we did a little bit of digging, mm-hmm. and uh, we found out that uh, there was a nearby monastery, uh, nearby to the Shining Hand. Uh, in fact, your rival monastery that happened to have a very similar mask uh, mm-hmm. stolen not too long ago from them. It seems that that mask was a, a focal point in their traditions, and its disappearance caused an almost complete collapse in their order. So uh, it so, sounds like there might be a lot more to, to Bizdir than we know. Isn't well, that true? Well, first of all, I just have well, to you know, unfortunately, though, you unfortunately, though, we have come out of time. We have uh-huh. run out of time. We're going to have to come back to this. But thank you, Bizdir, so much for joining us. From all of us here at D&D True Hollywood Story, good night. That is going to do it for our two-week series of character minisodes. I really do hope you all had as much fun listening to these as we did putting them together. We have had a blast for the last couple of weeks. A huge thanks this week to Karin and Lydia, who play Kit and Bizdira, for putting together their incredible stories. Uh, next week, we've got one more special episode for you before we pick back up with the main story. Next week's episode is going to take place about halfway through the year that our adventure spent with the Kobolds. It's winter time, and the Kobolds winter holiday is upon us. And who doesn't love a little drama and combat during the holidays? <laughs> so join us next week for our holiday special episode of The Last Refuge. 
If you enjoyed your listening experience, it would be amazing if you could leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you download your podcast from. The more five-star ratings and reviews we get, the better our placement will be on those sites, and the better our placement, the more people will get to listen. It only has to take a couple of minutes. Even if you don't have time to write a full review, give us a rating on there. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at DND Last Refuge. That's at D, the letter N, D, Last Refuge. Or you can email us at dndlastrefuge at gmail.com. We love hearing from you all, and especially now that we're ramping up for season two, drop us a line. Let us know what you're thinking. We also have a website with character and player bios and other cool stuff. That address is www.dndlastrefuge.com. As always, I want to thank Robert Hupf, my story consultant for this campaign, and of course, all of you for listening. I'm your friendly neighborhood dungeon master, DM Jazzy Hands, and with me I have... Bizdera, Kit, Bria, and Flick. Happy gaming, y'all. 